Yeah, isn't that great? <clears throat> just love that. Just love it. You know, it's just, um, you know, we have a mission as a church, passion for God and compassion for people, loving God, loving people, and loving in a very practical way. And that's what that's all about. And uh, I just want to say, boy, uh, one more thing here. Ladies, uh, women who were at the event Tuesday night, bless you for filling up this place with guests. Uh, the stories that are coming back of people hearing a message of God's grace through Jesus Christ, just love hearing that. And then to know that there are now 125 children who have shoes. Uh, the goal was 100, and you all got into this, and uh, so... Uh, Tom shoes, that whole thing. So pretty awesome. Pretty, pretty awesome. Well, today we're in the third and final act of Jacob's story. And if you're with us through this whole seven weeks, this being the seventh, you know that in act one, Jacob messes with God's plan for his life and he ends up on the run. In act two, Jacob spends 20 years meeting his match and his father-in-law Laban and in the end, he wins, but once again, he's on the run. And in Act 3, which we started last week, Jacob's headed home, and he's facing the biggest challenge of his, of his life, meeting his brother Esau. Now, this third act is divided into three episodes. I used that whole thing of episodes. And last Sunday, we saw the first, where Jacob prepares to meet Esau. And today, we're going we're gonna to finish this series with the second and third episodes. And so we're just going to jump right in, begin. Act 3, episode 2, Jacob wrestling with God. So chapter 32 in the Bible, in your Bibles, and begin reading it at verse 22. Listen to this. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's a river. And after he had sent them across the stream, he he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. <laughs> but he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob's facing the biggest challenge of his life. Esau, his twin brother, the brother he conned out of both birthright and blessing, is coming home, and he's coming home with 400 men. Jacob could not, he would not go back. He's done everything he could to prepare for this meeting. The most important of all, he's, he's prayed, which we saw last, last Sunday. It's the final night before his meeting with Esau. And as we'd expect, he's restless. He, 
he can't sleep, so he does one more thing. He, he moves his family and the rest of his possessions to the other side of the river. Goes back, and now he's all alone with nothing to do but count down the dark hours. One way or another, once and for all, he and Esau would have it out. And this time, Jacob did not have a trick up his sleeve, no red stew, no goat hair disguise. What he did have was God's promise. God's promise to protect him, to guide him, and to bring him back home. But even with this, even with this, as we all know from experience, right, it isn't easy to trust God when danger looms and it's the middle of the night. Anybody ever been in the middle of the night? Couldn't sleep, woke up? Yes, we've all been there, right? There he was in a dark night. Very likely the ravine that, that he was in is you know, would only have made that darkness even darker. I'm guessing it was a night where the darkness was so thick that Jacob could not see the hand in front of his face. Went from nowhere. With not so much as a rolled pebble to give him away, a mighty man threw his arms around Jacob, and in a moment, Jacob finds himself fighting for his life, a fight that lasted till daybreak. You imagine wrestling for a whole night. You know, does anybody know how long a wrestling match lasts? Anybody know? Six minutes. With and 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 what you have is three periods, two minutes each. And so, I thought, let's let's just get a feel for what how how just one minute feels, how long it lasts. All right. Uh I I wanted to do that. I wanted to be one of the guys, but they wouldn't let me do it. I don't know why. But can can you imagine doing something like that was just like one minute, doing that for hours, you know? That, that itself is hard to grasp, but add to it who it was that Jacob wrestled with. <laughs> and we're into a, another level of wh- what it takes to make something amazing. I mean, really amazing. You see, 
many, if not most, biblical scholars believe that the man Jacob wrestled with that night was none other than the Son of God. So what we have here is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in, in, in what would appear to be angelic form, what's, what's called a theophany. One of, the, one of the best ways to interpret Scripture is through Scripture. And so here's what the prophet Hosea wrote about Jacob's night wrestling that leads some scholars to believe this. And he writes, in, and he's talking about Jacob. It says, in the womb he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. And then, and then we read this. He found him, that, that same person at Bethel, and talked with him there. The, and then he said, identified, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name of re, renown. <laughs> That's got to be one of the most remarkable experiences any person can have in a lifetime. I mean, you know, wrestling with God. For Jacob, it felt like a fight for his life. He sure fought like it, so, so much so that we're told that he actually could not be overpowered by this man. So verse 25, we read this. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. <laughs> I, you know, I, I thought... I guess those years wrestling with sheep paid off, you know? And he's a lot stronger than he was 20, you know, the 20 years when he, when he left home. But, but listen, everybody, this was, this was no roundhouse blow. This was no wrenching twist. This man who, until this moment, was a stranger to Jacob, simply touched the socket of his hip so... That with, with this one touch, it seemed as, as if it came apart at the seams. Leaving Jacob helpless to do anything. But hang on to this man who, who now, for Jacob, was no longer a stranger. I can, I, I can almost hear Jacob saying to himself, who else but God could cripple a man with, with a mere touch? He now knew that this was the same God he had seen 20 years before. High and lifted up at the top of the staircase leading to heaven. He knew this was the God whose blessing he had schemed to gain his whole life. And, and, and that's why he said what he did in verse 26, where it says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hanging on with every ounce of strength he's got, Jacob begs for God's blessing. His tears muddied the dirt on his face. His hip ached like fire. His strength was gone. There's, there's no more tricks up his sleeve, no bargains left to make. And it's here that we begin to understand what Jacob's experience that night meant for him and what it can mean for each one of us today. Staying with this whole thing of wrestling to understand this. Every wrestler has his moves, and so does God. 
And what we see is that God used three of his favorite moves on Jacob. And what I want us to understand today is that God still uses those same moves today. He uses them on us. So here's the first one. To bless us, better yet, maybe to say it this way, to transform your life and my life into the life that God desires for us to be like Jesus Christ, which is the best life that a person could ever have, for God to make this possible and in this way bless us, God does to us what God did to Jacob back then. And the first one is this. God makes us face our inability to get his blessing. See, that's why God touched Jacob's hip and disabled him. The the thing that Jacob still wasn't getting, even after everything that God had done for him, is that God had a far greater desire to bless him than the desire Jacob had to be blessed by God. And so what Jacob should have done once he realized that it was God that he was wrestling is Jacob should have let God pin him. And then trust God with the rest, including the blessing. You know know what, everybody? Isn't it true that it's so easy for us to live this way, to do the same thing? To think that we got all of life figured out, where, where, where we think that we know better than God himself what's best for us and, and, and how to get it. To think, man, we're smarter than God. When the real truth is, God knows what's best and God knows better than anyone how to get us there. And sometimes God's got to do what it takes to make us face this, even touching us with some hip-wrenching experience that helps us know how weak we really are. You know, I, I, I think this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in his own life, from his own experience. I don't know if you're familiar with Paul's story, but Paul was given these absolutely amazing visions of heaven like nobody else had ever had. And and because God knew that it would become very easy for Paul to become conceited because of that, the word of God tells us, Paul himself tells us, that God gave him what he describes as a thorn in the flesh, something to help him keep his feet on the ground. And, and, And at one point, in fact, several times, Paul prayed and asked God to take that away from him And then God spoke back to him, and and Paul wrote wrote to the Corinthians what God said. And it was this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul thought about that, and then he writes this. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He said, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, I'm convinced that's an experience that all of us have to go to, that God needs to bring us to that point where we, we, we recognize our utter weaknesses to be able to be and do what we know we want to be and what we want to do when we, we allow God to, to take that control of our life. The second thing God did to Jacob, and he still does for us today, is that God makes us face ourselves, who we truly are. 
This is what happened to Jacob in verse 22. We read this. The, uh, the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. I love this. Jacob had been grabbing heels his whole life to get ahead. And here he was grabbing the heel of God. I mean, can't you see him sprawled out on the ground, both arms locked around God's leg, still convinced that it was up to him to get God's blessing? See, Jacob's doing what he's always been doing. (laughs) And God asked him a simple question, but one that was so revealing to Jacob. It was like a mirror showing him who he's been for these 60 plus years of his life. God said to him, what's your name? Here's what I think. I think Jacob knew God knew his name. (laughs) And I think Jacob also knew that why God asked him to say it. God wanted him to say who he was. Perhaps a better way to put it is to say it this way. God wanted him to confess that what his name meant, he's been doing his whole life. Do you remember what Jacob's name means? He'll grab her. It means deceiver. It means I'll do anything to get ahead kind of a guy. (laughs) That's what Jacob was, and God's forcing him to say it. You know what? It's possible that you're like Jacob here today. You've got your own issue. You've got your own thing that you, you know, if, if God asked you to say what your name was, you would have to say what that issue was. You would have to say, what is that, that one thing that you're just hanging on to that you're not letting God have control of in your life? <laughs> you see, when God asks us, we've got to say who we are. We've got to confess who we are, and we've got to confess what we're doing that we know God doesn't want us to do. And with this confession, we've got to be willing to change what needs to change in our life for us to become like Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing God did for Jacob, and, and I'm so glad God does it for us today. God changes our identity. R.C. Sproul, who's a theologian, shares the story of a college student he once taught who had cerebral palsy. And I think we all know what that looks like, the, the, the spastic movements and garble, garbled speech. But as is often the case, this student was very intelligent and a very capable individual. And so Sproul writes this. One day he came to me, vexed with a problem, and asked me to pray for him. In the course of the prayer, I said something routine with words like, God, please help this man as he wrestles with this problem. And then Sproul wrote, when I opened my eyes, the student was quietly weeping. I asked him what was wrong, and he stammered his reply, you called me a man. No one has ever called me a man before. See, everybody, R.C.'s bro giving that man a different identity changed the way he would wrestle with the problems that he faced in his life. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob in his quest for God's blessing that I'm convinced changed the way he went to meet his brother. 
Again, look at this, verse 27 and then verse 28. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Heel grabber, deceiver. I'll do whatever it takes to get my own way. <laughs> and then the man said to him, your name no longer is going to be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men, and you've overcome. I've got to tell everybody, this is not what Jacob expected to hear from God. Here's what's so remarkable about this name Israel. This, this name, his, his new identity reflects God's pardon. It was a, it was a strange upside down name for this man who had spent his whole life trying to butt it, you know, get himself into the front of the line. And here's why it's such an amazing name. Jacob's new name, his Wonderful, grace-filled name was Israel, which means God strives. God strives. Now, at first his name might have been confusing to Jacob because it doesn't, sound, it, it, it doesn't mean what he'd, done, what he'd done all his life, which is what this man said he had done. He had, he had struggled with God and he had struggled with, with other men. See, everybody, the God's side of the story of Jacob's life, the real story, the story that matters was not Jacob's futile striving to win, but God's relentless, grace-filled striving to pin him down by his love. And Jacob's story is really the story of the whole Bible. It's, it's the story of every person on whom God fixes his love. It's your story. It's my story. It's, it's God's relentless, grace-filled striving to pin us down by his love, the love that nailed his son to the cross. And once we've surrendered, it's then that we're given this name that identifies us as a child of God, someone who, has, who is so loved by God that God has, has just pursued us and God strives with us in his love to bring us to that point of surrender to him. So what happens? What happens once we've struggled with God and and God struggled with us, and, and, and God wins, and, and we finally surrender. What happens? Well, chapter 33 shows us what it meant for Jacob, and it's found in the final episode in the third act of this three-act story when, when Jacob meets Esau. And so chapter 33, verse 1, we, we read this. Jacob looked up. And there was Esau coming with his 400 men. <laughs> this terrifying prospect that Jacob had been living with for 20 years is now about to happen. When he last saw his brother Esau, Esau was determined to kill him and I would say this, the 400 men with Esau sure made it look like he knew how to hold on to a grudge. <laughs> and so, we read this. Jacob divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front of 
in front and, and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Jacob puts his family in order. He steps in front of them and he walks out all by himself to meet his brother and his 400 men. And it's here that we see the difference it made in Jacob's life when he surrendered himself to God. And the first one is this. It gave him the courage to face his fears. (laughs) What I really love about this is not only was he walking alone, he was walking with a limp. Remember, he had just finished the night wrestling with God that left him limping. Do you see the beauty of this, everybody? 20 years ago, he ran away from his brother. He was physically strong and able to take care of himself. And now he's walking toward his brother, and he's defenseless, and he's walking with a limp. But here's the real difference. He knew he wasn't alone. He knew God was walking with him, and it gave him the courage to face his greatest fear, his brother. You know what? I love that about God. We surrender ourselves to God, and God walks with us through the rest of our lives, giving us the strength to face everything that life brings our way, even giving us the strength to face our fears. You know, everybody, one of the wonders of God's grace is is how God can give us peace in the face of what terrifies us. And, 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 and I say that knowing that ours isn't a faith that believes nothing bad is going to happen in our life, but, but our faith it believes that nothing will ever happen that separates us from the love of God. The second difference surrendering to God made in Jacob's life is that he gave him the strength to humble himself before his brother. Again, look, look at this in verse 3. We, we read, he, he himself went on ahead and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I just love this picture of Jacob. There he is, he's limping. And he's bowing to the ground, not just one time before his brother, but but seven times as he approaches Esau. Until this moment, the only experience that Esau has ever had with Jacob is to have Jacob con him out of something, trick him out of something. I mean, talk about sibling rivalry. I got to tell you, this was the story of their lives. I I don't think things were ever good between these two brothers. I'm, I'm betting that pride and selfishness you know, got in the way of their relationship for as long as they had known each other. And now Jacob's bowing before Esau. He's humbling himself. Oh, we could say that he's doing it because he had to do it, but you know what? I don't think so. I'm convinced that Jacob, he could have schemed some other way out of this situation. I'm convinced Jacob was bowing before Esau because he knew it was the right thing to do and he was able to do it because God gave him the strength to do it. And finally, and this is where we 
we end this series, we end today, Jacob surrendering to God and Jacob doing what was right resulted in the healing of a broken relationship. And so we read this in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And they wept. What a great picture. Jacob limping toward his brother, bowing each step of the way. His family standing behind, waiting to see what would happen. Mothers hushing the younger, the younger brothers, the younger sons, and putting heavy hands on the shoulders of the older. Esau's 400 men watching with their hands, working the handles of their swords. You know, I think it's one of those moments when, when it would seem as if the whole world was watching to see what was going to happen, where everything goes silent, and then the ending everybody hoped would happen, but nobody expected. Esau running to meet Jacob, embracing him and kissing him, two brothers weeping together, years of hatred melting in loving arms of forgiveness. I mean, truly, wonderful grace of God. Wonderful grace of God. You know, it might be that you've come here this morning and you've been wrestling with God. It might be that you've got this one or two issues in your life, things that you just know are not right, and, and, but you've just been... Well, you've just been wrestling with God for, for a long time now, or maybe just months you've been, you've been saying, God, I'm going to hang on to this thing. God, you can have the rest of my life, but you can't have this one. And maybe this morning you're willing to say, you know what, God? I'm willing for you to pin me down. I'm willing to give that one up. I'm just going to ask us, just bow our heads this morning, Okay? And, and if, if God's spoken to you this way and you're, you've just said, that's me, that's me, Steve. Man, I've been wrestling with God for a long time. And I just want to give it up. I want to let God pin me. I'd like you just to raise your hand, would you? No? Just, yeah, okay, great. Oh, fantastic. Just so great to see that. Bless you. God, so wonderful. Let me... Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I just thank you for each one of these hands that have been raised. That just takes such courage. And it's by your grace. And God, I pray for each person who raised their hand today and just said, God, pin me down on this one. I surrender. I ask God for your Holy Spirit to strengthen with your power. I ask, Father, that your spirit would, would enable each, each person, Father, to trust you with this part of their life, to surrender it to you. I pray for your strength every single day going forward. Father, may your grace be powerful in their lives and in all of our lives, God, in all of our lives. For your honor in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Let's worship together.